Hello, and welcome to Hope Church. We're a local church with chill style, real faith, and no perfect people allowed. Thanks for checking out our podcast. This is a message from our SoCal location in the Santa Cruz, California area. We hope this message is encouraging. If you live near either of our locations, we'd love to have you join us for one of our many Sunday services. It's good to see your faces here this morning. I'm excited to be here with you. It was good to have uh, David. This was David Vaez leading with us this morning. He came over uh, at, at our invitation to lead uh, from Coastlands down the road. And our own Pastor Savannah, who normally leads worship, is leading at uh, our Scotts Valley Church, um, the Hope Church in Scotts Valley. So we're leaning into this kind of unity and partnership, and it's cool. It's a good thing. It's a really good thing. Yeah. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited about today. We're, so we're in a series called Last Days, in which we're uh, reading from the book of Revelation. In fact, today we're, re- we're start. Last week we kicked it off. We didn't even touch the book yet. We were just talking about, talking about the book. And today we talk about, um, we're going to look at chapter 1, verse 1 of the book of Revelation. Um, have you ever been involved in a case of mistaken identity? Have you ever had a situation like that? Earlier this week, uh, on Monday, I was uh, at work, and I was walking across the parking lot uh, behind my shop, and this guy goes, hey, hey, you. And I turned and looked over my shoulder, and I looked, and it was a guy I totally didn't recognize at all. I was just like, hmm, that's... So I, I kept walking, thinking, oh, he must have been talking to someone else. And he goes, hey, Mr. Chris. And I go, well, that's, that's my name. I was like, hey, what's going on, man? What, what's shaking? He's like, he's like, what's going down, dog? And I was like, well, okay, uh, not much, you know. How's it going with you? And he goes, he goes oh, man, it's, it's going great. He goes, I noticed you shaved that big beard and all that crazy hair. You cut it all off. I was like, uh, I mean, I did shave last week a little bit, yeah, you know, I, I guess. And he goes, you know, anyway, we had this conversation, and at the end of it, he, I'm starting to realize, like, I don't think he, I don't, I think he thinks I'm someone else, you know, at the end of it, he goes, hey, man, but I'll see you with that thing this weekend, it's going to go off, and I was like, I, I don't think I'm going to be at a thing that's going to go off, I don't, that's the last thing I want, actually. Uh, uh, I, he, clearly, there's another guy named Chris that looks like me with a big beard and wild hair that's at a thing right now that's just going off, so that's what's crazy about it. Jesus uh, ran into this problem uh, a bunch, this, this uh, problem of mistaken identity. Not that people thought he was someone else, but that people wanted him to be another kind of person when he came. Even his closest friends, even at the end of three years of ministry, his closest friends still thought that he was going to come as a conqueror who was going to visit out terrible violence on all their enemies. They still thought this. And instead, he showed his friends that the only way to truly conquer in this world is to die for your enemies. That's what he did. So we're in this series called Last Days, not because today or tomorrow or Tuesday is the last day or last days, but because this is a period of time uh, that began with the death and resurrection of Jesus that the apostles referred to as the last days. This is what the writer of Hebrews says. I, wrote, I read this passage last week. It says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. So this period of time that may stretch on for some amount of time, we don't know, um, is a period of time in which the apostles referred to as the last days, the last 
age of human beings before the next one. And it's a time when God is speaking through, exclusively through his son Jesus to us. So we're going to look at the book of Revelation. And it's a, it's a, it's a work, if you don't know this, it's a work of prophetic literature, meaning there's things talked about by the author of the book that hadn't yet happened when he wrote it. He's looking forward. And I, we confront two, two enormous challenges. See, here's the thing about Scripture is that it reveals something about God, but in the process, it also reveals something about us. In particular, prophetic literature will reveal, I, I'm predicting, <laughs> that it will reveal these two challenges in us. One is, is our tendency towards historical bias. That means that we typically, as human beings, we all, I, I'm included in this, we all do this, we somehow, we think that this particular time in history is more special than other times in history. And why is that? Because we happen to live in it, right? So of course, of course, many people read prophetic literature and they assume that of course it must be talking about us right here in this particular time. Of course, because we live in it, right? Now, maybe you read a passage of scripture and it is talking about you in this particular time. Maybe it is, but we can't begin with that assumption. We have to let the verse lead us to that conclusion. Does that make sense? It reminds me of this very horrible clown puzzle. You know, when you run across something truly horrible and terrifying, it makes you want to share it with other people. My wife and I got this piece of mid-century furniture some time ago, and we opened it up, opened one of the drawers, and it had this, this clown puzzle. It's for kids, believe it or not. It's for kids. You know, uh, statistically speaking, there's probably at least one, room in here, one person in this room that has calorophobia. That's the clinical fear of clowns. So I'm just wondering which one is that, which, which, one, which one you are. Yeah, there you go. So, yeah, I don't like clowns either. They're awful. That's why I want to share this with you. Um, we found this thing, and uh, it's from the mid-century. It's probably early 1950s. It was for kids, clearly for kids. And it's, you know, if you open the lid, it's, it's a series of blocks that you can rearrange into a bunch of different combinations. Well, it was in the back of the car, and I was driving somewhere just recently, and one of my kids, I hear them talking about it. They're like, oh, flip this block over. Give them a silly hat, you know. Oh, how fun. And then, I want to flip this block over. I want to make it so the clown is smoking. <laughs> what? I go, let me see that. Yeah, there's a smoking clown. Like, that's, that's a, someone at some point thought, in all sincerity, that a smoking clown would be a good idea for a children's puzzle. And other people were like, yeah, let's put that into production and get it out there for the kids, right? My point is, that each generation thinks they're the smartest and most sophisticated one to come along. But 50 years from now, 70 years from now, 100 years from now, people will look back at this particular time, and whatever our smoking clown moment is, they'll go, they were out of their minds, right? So it's good. It's good to be humble and remember that everything isn't about us, and we don't have all the answers, right? It's good. Some of you are hearing that for the first time. It's not about, it's not about you, and we don't have all the answers, right? So I said there was two challenges. The next one, the second one, is, is a bias called apophenia. Okay? It's called apophenia. Now, if you have apophenia, you might want to consult with your doctor and see if Cialis is right for you. But um, no, apophenia is not a clinical condition. It's, it's a bias. It's a tendency to think that patterns and connections that you see in random and unassociated objects are somehow connected. It's what makes us vulnerable to 
conspiracy theories, apophenia. You see things and you go, oh, have you, have you ever talked to someone and they, and they share, they go, you see how it's all connected, right? It's all connected. This thing and that thing, it's all connected. That's, that's apophenia. And we're all vulnerable to it. It's why every, every time they, the NASA releases a picture from Mars, you know how they have that little ro robot car that's driving around the surface of Mars? I, I love seeing those pictures. Here's a new picture of a rock from Mars, and we all go, oh, it's a face. See, it's a face. There's life on Mars. No, no, it's just a rock. It's just a rock. See, this is, this is our tendency. It's, it's to see patterns where there aren't any. And so we have to lay that down and look at the scriptures for what they really are. Are we bringing, are we importing our ideas into it? Are we letting the scripture inform our ideas? Does that make sense? So let's, let's set those things aside if we can and ask ourselves this question. Do we trust God? Do we trust him? Do we trust him to lead us through his word? Do we? Well, just in case, let's, let's pray before we read the passage. Is that okay? All right. God, we just ask that you would, you would lead us, that your Holy Spirit would lead us in the reading of your word rather than us bringing our ideas, our preconceived notions, our tendency to see patterns where there might not be patterns, Lord, make ourselves more important than we are. We ask that you would lead us into a greater understanding of your word and what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. We're almost there, so you might want to turn, and if you have a Bible, Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, and I'm going to tell you about the book, and then we're going to start reading it together, okay? The author of Revelation is a man named, you guessed it, John, right? The Revelation of John. In the first and second and third century, Christians believed that this John was the same Apostle John that walked with Jesus that survived persecution and outlived all of the other disciples and went on to become the patriarch of the first century church. He, he served his latter years as a spiritual father to the churches in and around Ephesus. So there was a unique partnership in this region of Ephesus where these churches were all uh, working together. They, they formed uh, ministry schools and they sent missionaries out. Really cool, really neat stuff. Just as a side note, you know who the pastor of the church of Ephesus was? A young man named Timothy. Actually, so Paul, you know, in his writings, he wrote First and Second Timothy. Those are in our New Testament. And he wrote those to a young man named uh, Timothy who was pastoring the church of Ephesus who, as one of his congregants, had John. How would that be, right? You're the pastor of the church of Ephesus, and you stand up, and you're like, who's that super old guy in the back? That's literally the oldest Christian on the planet who walked with Jesus. And he's back there like, what do you got to say, Timothy? Bring it, right? That's a little intimidating. Um, there are at least four ways that Christians have found to interpret this, this book. You'll hear about some of those in the coming weeks. And there's actually more disagreement I've found about the book of Revelation than probably any other single issue in the Bible, which makes this really exciting for me. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um, you know, in early church tradition, John was already old when he was condemned to death. The Romans tried to kill him by boiling him in oil. Yikes, right? But he wouldn't die. He was stubborn and uh, didn't, uh, didn't die. And so in frustration, they exiled him to, to an island named Patmos. So think about that. John did two things that we know of really well. He fished and he wrote about Jesus. And the Romans thought that it would be a good idea to punish him by sending to him to one of the greatest fishing spots in the Mediterranean where he had nothing but peace and quiet to write about his friend and his Lord, Jesus. 
Actually, he got more than he bargained for because he got an unexpected visit from an old friend while he was on that island. So let's begin. Chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The revelation from Jesus Christ. Now, I explained this last week, but in case you weren't here, revelation, that word there, is, uh, is where we get the word apocalypse from the Greek word apocalypsis. It means the great uncovering, the great revealing. Something is about to be revealed. That's what the author is telling us. Something is being uncovered right here. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. So whatever else this book is, whatever else it is, it is first and foremost a letter to people that are not us. It's a letter to a group of people that are not us. It doesn't mean that we can't benefit. In fact, I think we benefit greatly from reading it. But it was a letter written to a group of people that aren't us. And what we have to do is we have to put in the work of putting ourselves in the shoes of these first century Jesus followers, a persecuted and displaced religious minority. This is challenging, right? This is the challenge of Revelation, is to begin by putting ourselves in the shoes of people that are not only not us, but they're not even like us. You know, when I look out at the world, last two weeks there's been a lot of uh, outrage in the West about the invasion of Ukraine, and rightly so. It's awful what's happening there, and we should care deeply about those people, and we should, and we've, we, we're doing something about it. In fact, Tim will talk about that a little bit at the end of the service. We're, we're giving towards people that are serving right on the ground there, and it's, it's important that we do that, but I have to wonder, I can't help but wonder, um, if the, the level of outrage is commensurate with the reality that when we see these faces on, on TV, these faces of moms and children huddling in bomb shelters and schools, it's a little bit because those faces look like our faces. Those moms and children could be, could be related to us. But what if they looked different? What if they looked different? You know, in Myanmar, in the last two years, 10,000 human beings have lost their lives because of an internal conflict. Where's the outrage, you know? There's a war in Africa right now called the Tigray War between the Sudan and the Ethiopian people. No one really knows because they don't know how to count the number of dead, but it's somewhere between 50,000 and 100,000 human beings have lost their lives in two years, since 2020. Tens of thousands more are displaced had you even heard of that war before I mention it now, right? It's easy to empathize with people that look like you. It's harder when they look different and they act different and they come from a different culture. And this book is asking something of us. It's asking us, it's challenging us. Can you empathize with the people that are completely different from you? All right, moving on. All right, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Hey, that's me. Yeah, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take heart what is written in it. That's you. We're blessed. The, the author tells us we're blessed for reading it and for having heard it and for applying it. Because the time is near. This reminds me that, that all scripture is intended to be read and understood in community. It, you know, 
I mean, think about the practicality. There was a time where there was no possibility for you to just go away on your own and read scripture together, you know, in the morning by yourself, in, in, you know, in, um, uh, yeah, just, in, in, just by yourself, uh, because there just wasn't enough. There wasn't enough scrolls to go around, right? Um, and it's a blessing that we can do that. It is, but it shouldn't just be that. In fact, it was meant for it to happen like this, in places like this where we gather and we read and we consider and we ponder and we ask each other questions and we look at each other's faces. How are they reacting to that? Hmm, you know, did I get that right? That's, that should happen. It's the point of Scripture to change us as a people. Yeah, so, okay, so this first section was clearly added by someone that wasn't John. This is like a, a prescript. It's, it goes, it's, it's tucked onto the front of the letter, and someone wrote that as they distributed the letter around Ephesus. So now we begin with the actual words of John. So here's John put this, his pen to paper, and he wrote this. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia. By the way, this isn't Asia like we know it. It's the uh, Asia Minor, which is kind of around the Mediterranean, the northern coast of the Mediterranean, where Turkey is now. He says, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. From the seven spirits before his throne. That's an odd phrase, isn't it? Seven spirits before his throne. It's a strange way to say that. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. So John here is laying the groundwork for something truly radical. There's this idea of the God who is three in one. Now, that's not all that radical to us. We've heard... Have you heard the word Trinity before, right? This is familiar ground to us, but to the readers of this letter, this would have been groundbreaking, interesting stuff. The God who is three in one, the Father, that is he who was and is and is to come, so that there's a, an immaterial, timeless being outside of the universe. And he says, the seven spirits before his throne. This is, a, this is an odd way of saying the Holy Spirit. Right? It's a reference to Isaiah chapter 11, where Isaiah talks about the Spirit of God as the wisdom, the understanding, the counsel, the might, the knowledge, the fear of the Lord, the seven spirits around the throne. And it's the way that God interacts with people on the planet is through his Holy Spirit. He's interacting with us right now as we read his word. And from Jesus Christ, the Son, the physical expression of God here on earth. Also here is this idea that Jesus is the firstborn of the dead, it's the beginning of a cascade of resurrections that will take place from that day on through the end of the last days. It's God's plan to redeem the earth. He goes on to say, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he says, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. Sometimes when it's really good, you've got to amen yourself. That's, that's what John's doing here. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who was and is and is to come. The Almighty, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. We do not have a category for this kind of writing. The things we're about to read, we don't even know how to categorize it. This is an extremely sophisticated piece of literature. This is John at his absolute best. He's taking all of the, the, the 65 books of scripture that we know of and he's tying them all together using symbols 
and plot pieces and numbers. There's over 517 references to the Old Testament in Revelation, more than any other New Testament book. And he weaves them all together to show us one thing, that the Bible is a unified story told over the course of 1,500 years. It's kind of, but the, here's the thing, is as we read this, we find that unified story, this Bible, that if you've read from the beginning to the end, has a massive twist ending. It's a massive twist. It, have you seen The Empire Strikes Back in the Star Wars trilogy? If you hadn't, if you haven't, it came out in 1980. I'm going to spoil it for you. Shame on you that you haven't seen it, okay? It's 40 years old. So, so Empire Strikes Back, you've got the, the rebels and the Empire, and you've got Luke, and he's facing down the villain, Darth Vader, and they're fighting with lightsabers at the very And in the last, like, 10 minutes of the movie, something is revealed. Darth Vader tells him, I'm not the enemy that you thought I am. I'm your father. And he gives him an offer. Will you join me? And we can rule together as father and son. It changes the whole paradigm of the whole story up till now. Like, if you were in a theater watching this, it would, there were audible gasps. It's like, we never saw that coming. Right? When we get to the end of the book of Revelation, John shows us a vision of Jesus who actually does come as the conqueror ever thought, everybody thought he was going to come as. He, sh he shows up in his glory with an army at his back. He's on a horse. There's a, there's a sword coming out of his mouth. Except if we look carefully, there's a twist because he's not here to conquer other human beings. He's not here to slaughter our enemies. He's here to face down bad human ideas like empire and slavery and oppression. In fact, if we look carefully, we see that Jesus' robes are drenched in blood, it says. And you might, you might say, well, that's not odd for a, for a battle. Have you seen Braveheart? You know, it's blood everywhere. You know, and, and so we tend to think of this, this picture of Jesus as this William Wallace character coming down to face down the English on the fields of Edinburgh, right? Blood and gore and violence and slaughter. But in fact, if we look carefully, we see that the blood on his robes is there before the first stroke of the sword. It's before the battle has begun. Whose blood is that? Whose blood is on his robes? It's his blood. He's showing us that to truly conquer the corruption of this world, you have to die for your enemies. And he's inviting us, hey, I died for you. It says, while, Scripture tells us, while we were yet in sin, he died for you. He shed his blood for you. Now that we are not his enemies, he's asking us, will you die for my enemies? Here's the ultimate plot twist. The book of Revelation is not about the end of the world. Did you know that? It's not about the end of the world. It's about the end of violence in this world. In the first book of the Bible, anyone know what the first book of the Bible is? That's right. Right at the beginning, there's a story about two people who redefine for themselves the meaning of good and evil. They take for themselves from God to redefine good and evil. And that led to the first act of violence in the Bible. And there's been violence in the world ever since. And the story of Revelation is the story of Jesus returning to remove violence from his good world once and for all. All right, we're almost done. We've got just a few more verses. It says, On the day... On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit. This is John talking. I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. Whew, I got those all right. That was good. 
I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. This is how Jesus referred to himself often in life. Dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, white as the snow. His eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, coming out of his mouth a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. This is not the Jesus that John was expecting. This is the all-powerful, all-knowing, immutable, transcendent ruler of the universe and beyond, fully revealed to a humble fisherman. John says this, when I saw him, when I saw him, I fell down as dead. And he placed his right hand on me and he said, do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last, the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. I'm in control of all of those things. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. This is Revelation chapter 1. Whew. He knocks it out of the park right in the first chapter. Isn't that amazing? It's so good. So what do, what do we do about that? What do we do about that? Well, I think this leads to a question. What is being revealed to us? That's what we should ask this. What is it that's being revealed to us? I think first and foremost, there's this idea here that we don't have to let fear define our worldview. Let's not let fear define our worldview. What we are being offered is an opportunity to trade fear for faith. And I don't mean faith like a, a blind trust in the fantastic, okay? I mean faith like, like trust, like trust. You know, and when we get there later in the year, in chapter 19, we're going to see that the spiritual name of Jesus, he, he's a rider on a white horse, and his name is faithful and true. He's trustworthy. We can trust him. Do you know that? You can trust him. Let's not let fear define our worldview. Let's let faith define our worldview. Trust in a good and perfect king that has a plan for restoration for this world. And the second thing, the last thing I think that's being revealed to me as I read this is that we were made, we were designed, we were designed to be lampstands and stars. You know, this image of the lampstand, he says, he tells us right here, we don't have to guess what the meaning is. He tells us. He says the lampstands are the seven churches. By the way, seven is a number that's going to come up a lot in Revelation. Did you know there was actually ten churches in Ephesus that we know of? There may have been more. So when he says the seven churches, what he means is all of the churches. When John says seven, he means all of something. It's a Hebrew uh, reference to the number of completion. Okay? So when you see seven, it generally means it all of something. I think we can cast our lot into this group and say that he... He's referring to us, the seven lampstands. All, the church, his churches are meant to be lampstands. What do lampstands do? They shine out into the what? Into the darkness. They push back the darkness. That's us. That's us. We get to do it together. And the stars in his hand. You know, it says the stars represent the angels. I don't think these churches had guardian angels. I think 
this, this word here, angel, just means messenger. It's not a heavenly being at all. It means someone delivering a message. If there's a message, there needs to be a messenger. Who's the messenger of the message of Jesus? Who's delivering the message of Jesus? We are. It's you and me. And how do we deliver it? We live the way Jesus called us to live. And we do it out loud and in front of people. And in that way, we're the stars. This is what Daniel wrote 600 years before this book that we're reading right here. Daniel was a prophet as well, and he wrote this. He said, there will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame. Those who are wise, check this out, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. Those who lead many to righteous, those who are my messengers that deliver the message of Jesus, they will shine like the stars forever and ever. And God said to Daniel, but you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of this scroll until the time of the end. When is the time of the end? It's now. And so John is breaking the seals on the scroll. He's opening it up, and he's revealing what was put in the heart of Daniel 600 years before, 2,600 years before for us. And he's opening it up. And he's opening it up for everyone to see. Who's left out of this picture? No one. The truth of Jesus is for everyone. In the world that he is redeeming, no one has to be left behind. We hope this message encouraged you to take the next steps in your relationship with God. The cool thing is that you don't have to do it alone. There are a lot of ways you can get connected here at Hope. Not only do we want you to feel at home at Hope, we'd love to help you find a home. Please check out discoverhope.church and click connect or just email us at info at discoverhope.church. Lastly, we give everything we can away for free and rely 100% on volunteers and donations to support this ministry. If you'd like to give to the Mission of Hope Church, you can select the Give option on our website or text any amount to 831-800-2060. Thanks again for tuning in.